0: The Rewilding Earth Podcast is supported by businesses such as Patagonia, Catula, and Biohabitats, as well as the Whedon Foundation and listeners like you. If you love the work that the Rewilding Institute is doing, please consider donating at rewilding.org. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter while you're there. Environmentalist and activist Terry Spar left the corporate world to research, write, and produce 8 Billion Angels, a documentary feature which exposes overpopulation as the upstream cause of all of our environmental emergencies. Terry is the founder and executive director of Earth Overshoot, a nonprofit designed to promote public and private action to make ecological limits central to all decision making. A graduate of the University of Pennsylvania College of Arts and Sciences and Fells Center of Government, Terry lectures on issues of sustainability to students, investor groups, and civic organizations. He's also a regular opinion writer for a variety of environmental publications. Terry, thanks so much for being on Rewilding Earth. You bet.
1: Excited to be here. Thanks, Jack.
0: I uh, we were just talking uh, before this about how consumed you must be with your current project. Can you tell everybody what you're working on and why it's so important to you?
1: You know, left the business world about three and a half years ago. I've been growing more and more alarmed and concerned about uh, the path we're on as a society and the, and the, and where the world's heading. And uh, I uh, began and embarked on a, a Uh, mission to uh, be able to communicate my concerns and I decided to use the medium of uh, film to do that. So we uh, have been producing a documentary for the last three years that uh, we are practically finished. We're about two weeks away. Should be ready by the end of April here in 2019.
0: That was my next question because uh, reading over the site, following you on Twitter, it's been an anxious time because I'm thinking this is going to be really good. And also the message of, hope around this like it doesn't have to be this dire situation
1: no it doesn't have to be that way at oh, all. no way um and in fact i think uh when you look at the, the benefits of uh, you know the topic that we bring up about the impacts of overpopulation uh the you know when you address these things in countries that have addressed it have really seen incredible you know improvements in social justice health equity uh and uh you know just uh, security financial security and and just a uh, Uh, you know, economic and educational opportunities for uh, women and children, too. And and, uh, best of all, the nature begins to actually heal.
0: We were just talking uh, last episode to Randy Hayes about nature needs half. And he brought up the idea that a lot of the things that people are really fired up about right now, where in the past we would have been very excited that people were talking so much about Climate change, plastic pollution, the oceans, all that kind of stuff is really you can't go very far on social media and in the news without seeing something about that on the daily that's usually where it stops. So I said at the, in, in that, and you can give me some feedback on this. It it seems like the perfect time to be talking about something like this, which seems, you know, when you bring it up, you get the reaction like you're a radical or something or no, no, you don't talk. And that's Mm -hmm. just, if you're talking about certain with people from certain conservation groups, that's not just gin pop. Mm. That's just, you know, people in our ranks, so to speak.
1: No question. I think one of the challenges that uh, the public feels is that, yes we see these signs we see as you said the climate change the storms the you know the the oceans are warming the corals are bleaching Uh, i think one of the the gaps is people don't understand you know what do they need to do in order to be able to live sustainably on earth and i think there's a lot of misconception out there in, in the world because no one really has drilled it down to what does it mean on an individual basis and you know I think what's critical Jack is you have to look and that's my, my concern why I got into this is I don't see people really trying to solve it I mean it's very good that they're trying to say hey we need to you know get to renewables we need to stop using more plastic and all these kinds of things but you know the the end of the day you know we've got to be in balance with nature if we're going to survive long term' it's, it's basically right now we're in a, what we call overshoot and if you look at our, uh, you know, our nonprofit that we've established, it's called Earth Overshoot. And right now we are exceeding our carrying capacity as a species, and all the signs are telling us that. So at some point there's going to be a, 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 you know, I guess a, a reconnoitering of of, the, of this fact, and you know we're we're trying to address it before it happens, so we can handle it in a humane way as opposed to. Uh, nature's way, which is uh, not very humane. They, nature's nature, and nature, nature will dictate how nature wants to do it.
0: And everybody can check out earthovershoot.org to find out more. Who who is it that puts out the the month of the year that we've gone over our carrying capacity? Are you guys involved in that part, or uh,
1: no? That's a wonderful organization called Global Footprint Network, and uh, they are a uh, they, they're very good. We take a lot of our information and our, our data that. We, uh, we we gather we 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 uh, you know go to their website and, and they're really good about uh, having excellent data on biocapacity and then human consumption and human emissions and uh, they tell you whether you know what countries are in deficits and what are in surpluses as far as who's living within their means as a country and who's living beyond their means and, and you know polluting and emitting waste too much and consuming too many resources for the size of the country.
0: If I recall, it was somewhere around August last year mm-hmm. that we right. overshot.
1: Essentially, they say, we, exactly, they're saying we basically need about an earth and a half uh, to handle all our, our needs without, you know, uh, experiencing overshoot. And, you know, when you look at that, and if you, you know, drill that down, what they do is they actually look at it from a land need and they say, hey, each and every person, all 7.7 billion of us out there use about seven acres of land or about 2.84 hectares. And we need to be all the scientists, all the economists say that we have to cut back our activity, our economic activity. We have to live on about half of that. If we're going to allow for you know, the abundance and diversity of life to flourish, we have to cut back about half of that. So we each need to live on about three and a half acres of land, a substantial reduction for all our needs, for all our goods, our services, you know, housing, every resource that we use, we need to cut back about 50% as far as the amount of land that they They use land as a metric for a measurement. Uh, Another great way, Jack, of measuring it is by emissions. You know, 80% of everything that we do and use has behind it the energy of fossil energy. So uh, emissions are another way of sort of gauging that. And the global citizen, if you look at the 7.7 billion people out there, we all basically use on average five tons of CO2 a year. That's what we emit into the atmosphere for all our economic activity. Americans, we do about 20 tons, a substantial amount of CO2 into the atmosphere that we produce and emit. So when you look at five tons, again, we have to be at about 50% if we're going to live sustainably. We have to ratchet that back to about two and a half tons of emissions per person across the globe to live within our carrying capacity. And again, it's a little bit hard for people to understand that concept. So I also look at it from a GDP perspective or an income perspective. And if you look at The global economy, it's about an $87 trillion economy. And if you, again, look at 7.7 billion people, that's about $11,000 per person in economic activity. And we again, we have to cut that back by 50%. So the average person, in order to be sustainable, has to live a lifestyle on $5,500 a year. So what's interesting is 3.5 billion people live on or above that lifestyle. And the other 4 billion people live below that lifestyle. And to give you an idea what that lifestyle is, Jack, it's like living in a one-room home with minimal plumbing, minimal electricity for a few small appliances like a, you know, a small electric stove, maybe a small refrigerator. Uh, it's having uh, you know, uh, no um, you know, central you know, heat, no central air, no central hot water. It's uh, not having any clothes washer or dryer. You're only having two or three sets of clothes that you hand wash and you hang out to dry and uh, it's eating a plant-based diet only locally, and it's not driving a car, and it's not flying in an airplane ever in your life. That is a sustainable lifestyle with 7.7 billion people. And the people who are living above that have zero interest in coming down to that level to be sustainable. And the ones who are living below that, and I've interviewed a lot of them for our films, uh, they're fighting and calling every day to live a better lifestyle.
0: Yeah, and if we were stuck at our current population, It would be one thing but we're but it's rapidly growing that number that you're talking about is on a constant shifting scale isn't it
1: so as we increase these numbers and we're talking on right now we're adding about 80 million more people to the planet you know the implications towards their freedom of choice and our freedom of choice and the implications to sustainability grow worse every day now the conversation of population reduction you know, really needs to be, you know, uh, handled up front, transparently, honestly, and and, and to, you know, to you know, strip away the taboo and strip away the, the stigma of it. And, you know, that conversation needs to be had uh, in, in every corner. And it's not, you know, the, the developing world pointing at the underdeveloped world. It's in you know, the developing world is actually the greatest perpetrators. We, we pollute so much more and we use so many more resources than the, than the, than the non-developed world
0: it's really a hard discussion mm-hmm. because there's so many fingers pointing in so many directions as to who's to blame.
1: No, you're absolutely right, Jack. I think that there's, uh, you know, uh, a lot of real, uh, reticence to discuss it because you said there's, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, vestiges of racism, colonialism, imperialism, you know, uh, uh reproductive autonomy. There, there are a lot of legitimate and serious concerns, you know, pr- prior, of uh, you know, human rights uh, violations with, you know, looking at what China's one child policy or India's sterilization program. So yes, there's some, you know, sordid history, there's some unfortunate examples, but, uh, you know, again, if you, uh, going back to our film and going back to, you know, our our, our website, um, we also show uh, countries and we discuss countries that have had, you know, marvelous, uh, uh, you know, population policies that uh, have, uh, you know, been able to manage uh, the growth of their citizenry and, actually, you know, reduce fertility, all in the context of uh, humane, non-coercive, and voluntary, uh, you know, uh, initiatives, and, and very successfully. And then again, it improves uh, the entire community, both with, you know, women's and children's health, uh, you know, pr- uh, you know, poverty uh, decreases, it's, a, it's called a demographic dividend, you see, you know, uh, substantial financial security for these families that are smaller families, and you also see, again, Magnificent opportunities when it comes to education and and, the economic uh, opportunities for, uh, especially the 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 mothers. And um, you know, best of all, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the environment gets better. Nature does heal because there are fewer people putting that kind of pressure on the environment.
0: I've seen discussions with millennial types who are, you know, opting out of having kids, and their stated reasons being, it's just too dark in the future it's just too it wouldn't be responsible and also it's expensive
1: i think these younger generations are saying you know I, i'm getting the connection here about the impact that i have on the environment and do i want to bring children both into the world for twofold one is because i see the impact that you know they will create and when there's 7.7 billion of us that's a massive impact and the other question being is do i want to bring a child into a world that may not be as good a world as i found it when i was born into it so I, I do understand the moral dilemma there, and I, I think what's going to happen is we are going to head down this path of change, uh, and we just need to adapt. We need to adapt to new ways of seeing the world, you know, seeing each other, I think, with new values and new ethics, and we need to start to put systems into place, structures into place, and expectations into place that will help us cope with those you know, difficulties that lie ahead, find happiness where we can and where it exists, and thrive as best we can.
0: You know, Mm -hmm. that biological pull Mm -hmm. comes to everyone. Usually it comes to most people anyway. And that's tough enough. It's like, wait, I should be having a kid now. Should I? Would my life be better? Whatever. But then all of this cultural conditioning, backing it up through a lifetime of when you have kids and when are you having kids? And it's just expected that everyone will. Um, To see people at all have a discussion and just firmly put their foot down. I'm just not having kids and have and that's been happening for quite a long time, but that it seems to be happening even more is a little bit of a hope, a bit of a ray of hope.
1: And I think you're right. There is that sort of uh, expectation. And it's interesting in our film, you know, we try and address some of these challenges uh, that are societally based and societal, you know, uh, expectations or construction. And and we, you know, we have a gentleman who's a professor there at bioethics from uh, Johns Hopkins, Travis Reeder. You know, Travis, you know, talks just about that, how, you know, there's a, a sort of a, a justification right now that, you know, why are you a 30-year-old woman and you don't have a child uh, and you've been married? And where he said that, you know, we need to learn to and, and gradually flip that justification to, you know, why are you having multiple children in, a, in an environment that, uh, you know, may not uh, you know be a, a good thing to be doing that at this time? Things are incremental. I mean, uh, changes happen incrementally. Large changes happen incre- incrementally, and you know, I think uh, you know uh, societal awareness is shifting, and it, it just takes time and energy, and and you know these kinds of conversations that uh, you know you are having, and that uh, even people are having at the coffee shop or across the fence to their neighbor.
0: Let's talk a little there bit more about the film, and talk a little bit more about the uh, enormity of this project that you've been working on. I see from September twenty second, twenty eighteen, you'd put up two years and all kinds of other stats that have gone behind working on this project? What's it been like? What's it like behind the scenes?
1: Great question. Uh, uh, I am. I have zero experience in the documentary world, but again, being in business for 30 years, I, I uh, knew what was important was to build a really great team around me. And, and we've done that. And uh, it's been an eye-opening experience, not just how to film and where to, I mean, you know, the, the, all the processes of filming, but even more so just Learning about uh, the environment and, and learning about you know the oceans and acidification and land and the, and you know how our how our your soils are degraded and, and the the inputs that are used for our agriculture which is completely unsustainable and what it's doing to the you know the uh, you know the aftermath to the rivers into the oceans and just it's been a, a really eye-opening experience just uh, you know the spending time in India and Japan and you know, the Midwest and up up in the northern coastline of our country here, you know, talking with everyday people and scientists uh, uh, on the struggles that they're facing with, uh, you know, dealing with the impacts of overpopulation and uh, they're being able to manage it from whatever it might be, whatever walk of life they're involved in.
0: I remember Leonardo DiCaprio coming on and doing uh, some press and some other things after he had gone on a pretty considerable trip around the world, uh, or a culmination mm-hmm. of several trips and some of the some of the joy de vivre had left his face. So hmm. you, you could visibly tell that he had seen some stuff. What kind of perspective has it given you in terms of everything that you 've seen because very few people on this planet have put themselves in your situation and and done the fifty thousand miles of footage the Two hundred or two hundred and fifty hours of footage and fifty thousand miles of travel and probably a lot more than that. Now you've seen a lot of stuff that most people haven't seen. How has that affected
1: you? That's a good question, Jack. I I, I don't think I'm uh, I've, you know I don't feel at all uh, less hopeful. Uh, you know uh, we, we we all have to come together collectively and we have to uh, not be afraid to tackle tough subjects and. You know, I, I, you know, I, I get concerned when I see people focus just on one thing like climate change, or focus on one issue like plastics in the oceans. Uh, and we have to say, okay, what are the, you know, underlying causes, and what can we do as far as just stopgap measures? And I think, yeah, I think you can lose hope when you don't see things work, like, uh, you know, with climate change and with, uh, with fossil energy. 2018. Was the biggest year in history of uh, fossil energy use, and 2019, the, you know, the international agency, Energy Agency, has said we're going to uh, go burn through an additional half a billion barrels of oil. So it's going to be far greater this year than 2018. So we're not really addressing, you know, uh, our fossil energy use quickly enough. So that's worrisome. But uh, you know, I think uh, it's just one uh, symptom of many symptoms, and uh, I think we have to be focusing on uh, the population side as well. and and again, in a way that uh, is uh, you know voluntary and and uh, you know with with enthusiasm, with understanding of all the you know uh, previous uh, you know problems and issues that uh, surrounded that topic.
0: Is there any difference between when you come home or when you're paying attention to the news uh, at large and what you're seeing on the ground in terms of? The people that you're meeting and the work that they're doing, that really is more hopeful because they're doing the work. They're aware of the situation, that they're uh, one of those issues, at least, that they're fighting. How do you reconcile the hype from what you're actually seeing out there? Or is it really close to what you're seeing out there?
1: I think what worries me the most is understanding that our economic activity uh, is not uh, diminishing. It's, it's, uh, It's increasing every year. And if you look at our impact on the environment, we're just we're just not voluntarily willing to reduce our consumption. And uh, it's, it's a very hard needle to move. And technology uh, does not necessarily help us. Uh, you know, technology you know, can you know, solve problems but pretty much on a short term basis. It, it doesn't really solve underlying issues and sometimes just masks masks. And um, you know, uh, delays and compounds and intensifies the problems that they were meant to solve. So I, I think I, I get what what does bring me optimism is when you start to see people like what Alexandria Ocasio Cortez brings up uh, about you know bringing a child into this world may not be a really you know a healthy thing to be doing. Um, knowing what we're facing, I think the more conversation we can have about. Our impacts is our numbers and how that is when you look at, you know, when you look at science and you look at impact, it is the greatest green strategy available, Jack, to individuals and countries. You know, the greatest green strategy, the best carbon offsetting strategy is to literally, you know, have smaller families and reduce population. And when I hear more of that and I see more of that and I I see uh, an organization address it more that they never did in the past, that gives me hope and it gives me hope because that really will fundamentally uh, you know, get us to sustainability faster than some of these other uh, solutions which help but they don't really uh, they won't get us there without a, 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 you know, a clear path on, on population.
0: You know less people scares countries to death. I mean there are countries out there who are you know giving really weird incentives for people having more kids uh, because they're worried mm-hmm. about their aging population going away faster than their young population. I mean if we stop relying on fossil fuels and everything that our governments are propped up on, our economies are propped up on, that's going to create some chaos, isn't it?
1: Uh, I don't, uh, I wouldn't say it's going to create chaos, but, and, you know, and then the question is if, uh, you know, which is more chaotic and which is more of a a, a peril. Do you, do we, you know, deal with, um, you know, when we're looking at dealing with economic and social challenges, you know, tied to slowing births is, to me, it's child's play compared to the, you know, potential ecological plights and national security perils that, you know, our country or any country, you know, will experience from a continued population growth and the overshooting of our carrying capacity and our resources. Uh, You know, I think it's kind of foolish to think that, you know, uh, infinite growth uh, can be healthy. You know, it's just, it, it's It's simple logic you just can't keep growing our population and growing you know economic growth forever you know we, we have to reflect now on how we're going to protect our economies while working towards what I think should be a sustainable number of people if we you know tend to ignore that I think you know again nature will force it upon us and it, you know and and uh it could be violent it could be unexpected
0: again uh one of the conversations that we had last with uh, Randy Hayes, he was talking about for an end to industrial civilization as we knew it in the 70s. And he must have been, and he, he indicated that he was, laughed at and treated like a radical and everything else back then. Then he's gone all of these decades watching us basically go on the same path that we were on when he made that call and other people. Uh, we're making similar calls to radically, radically change the way that we were uh, treating our growth, how growth was done, the industrial growth, technology, and everything else. What's different in your mind about now versus then?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, that's hard because I think for a lot of people they were disheartened with uh, you know uh, the the IPCC over in, in, in France, and uh, I just uh, you know, and America hasn't been willing to you know, take uh, certain steps necessary to, you know, cut back our carbon use. And uh, I just, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if, uh, you know, 200 countries can come together to, you know, do what's necessary on climate change. Uh, again, that's just, you know, one symptom. I think it's, it's such a, a, a overwhelming problem. I guess it can paralyze people because it's so overwhelming. And I think uh, what you have to do is just on your daily basis, You know, try and do the best you can and, uh, you know, be aware of what those impacts are and and try to to take action in your own own way.
0: I often try to figure out if if what's happening on a macro level with a lot of people talking about um, being more responsible with fossil fuel use and everything in the last, and just say the last decade. But like you said, in 2018, we had the biggest year for carbon emissions ever. At this, so it's like we're talking about it, yet our emissions, like you said, are going up. Would, would you say that people are still paying too much lip service to these things um, while doing the exact opposite? Or is it an anomaly of some sort?
1: I think they don't understand the magnitude of what, you, that, as I explained earlier in the podcast, what that lifestyle is for sustainability. Mm. And when they do understand it, They're not going to be, the people who are living above that lifestyle are not willing to, you know, give up flying. They're not willing to give up. Some people may. Some people may be willing to give up driving ever again. Some people will maybe or doing plant-based diets. Uh, And some people may have, you know, limited their appliance use, limited their electricity and downsized into a very tiny home. But, you know, I think that that is the, 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 the extreme minority that have done all those steps necessary to live sustainably. And so I just don't think it's a realistic approach where once people understand it, that uh, we have to do more than just uh, you know, uh, try and reduce our you know, economic activity. And I think it's very difficult to do that because think about this, Jack. Think about you know, your economic activities based on your income. So you bring home your income. If you choose not to do some of those resource-intensive consumptive activities, you know, what are you gonna do then? You have the savings of your income, uh, do you just go out and replace that and do other things with it or do you do other types of economic activity or, you know, do you put it aside and save it in which case you're putting it into the production side of the economy. And that's again, creating growth. So it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to, I think, uh, change our affluence uh, world worldwide affluence. I don't think people want to be forced to live uh, you know, a more static life and uh, I don't think they're voluntarily willing to do it. And that's why, Again, our, 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 our argument and our, our, our film is about really addressing the, the population uh, uh, factor.
0: There is a guy in our town that drives a bike all over the place, and he's known as the, you know, I think a lot of people think in the back of their minds, um, the good old boys especially, there goes that hippie, he's always ridden a bike, he's always had his kid in the back of the bike with the little trailer thing, and he's never had a car. And gets around just fine and does all of his business and everything. But that is such a radically different lifestyle that people don't, I don't think they even look at that and see themselves in any way whatsoever doing anything, like even Mm -hmm. on a Monday, not driving their car and just using a bike. And once again, it's population. We don't all have to go down to that level that you are talking about if we don't have as many people. I don't know of an easier argument that could be made, which is also why I'm so stymied by the fact that there's so few of us making it.
1: Right. And, and I, I, I think just because of the taboo and the, and the past histories. And, and I think that's why it's important to really uh, understand our ecological limits, to measure those uh, ecological limits and to be transparent about them. So, you know, if, if we all live an American lifestyle, where we're you know, emitting 20 tons of CO2 a year, we're living off roughly $60,000 per person as far as our per, per person GDP, and you know, we're living off of 22 acres per person as American. If we're all going to do that in the war- for the world, you know, we need to have uh, within we have we have to live within around a billion people. You know, if we're going to live more like a European lifestyle, which is about 10 tons of CO2 emissions, it's about you know uh, $30,000 uh, per person of GDP. Uh, we, you know, again, we just need to, you know, say, okay, well, how many people can that sustain? You know, allowing for, you know, nature uh, and uh, the abundance of uh, diversity and uh, of life to be able to to live compatibly with us at flourish, and that's probably about two billion people. And again, so I think it's really trying to understand, you know, based on the lifestyle that we live in this country or a different country, is, you know, what is a Uh, a sustainable uh, society what is a sustainable you know a population and you know nature does that for every species we've just been able to you know push nature away because of our ingenuity and our ability to uh, you know use fossil energy uh, to you know uh, deliver water and deliver food and and produce food uh, wherever we are and to you know provide us the technologies that have basically eliminated every type of you know, potential catastrophic disease that could wipe us out or, or significantly, you know, uh, reduce our numbers. And we flourished.
0: What are the main things that you see uh, as we're reducing population? Let's say we've already got that ball rolling. What are the other really main things that are going to have to happen?
1: I, I guess, you know, what does a, a wise society do knowing that we're heading, we're in overshoot and we're going to head through this transition? Yeah. You know, I think one thing that we really have to understand is that when you look at our global wealth, material consumption and energy consumption rise and fall in tandem with our global wealth. So, one of the big issues that we're going to face in about 30 years, based on I read a lot from energy experts, Jack, and uh, uh, just you know, Charles Hall, you know, Alice Friedman, Tim Garrett, uh, there are a dozen men and women who are in that you know field that I follow. Uh, everything that I can read and understand is we've got about 30 years of recoverable reserves before we start to see energy constraints. And uh, what I mean by that is fossil energy will pretty much be uh, a a scarce commodity and 30 years is not a lot of time. And, you know, whenever uh, there's a a scarceness of energy, there's going to be a significant retraction in the economy. So we're going to have a major shift, I think in about 30 years, and we're going to have to prioritize you know, our use of energy and, 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 and the running of our civilization. So uh, I think energy is a big factor. We've got to, I, I used to not like um, the idea of nuclear energy, but we've got to shift in the next 30 years to uh, at least some level of energy that will be able to stabilize and, and uh, you know, maintain society. And we're not there where we are now as, as a country. So we have to get, you know, electrify. We have to put in a significant uh, infrastructure with the grid. We've got to, you know, start to look at the nuclear options out there. When I say nuclear I'm nuclear energy options. Uh, you know, whether that's uh, some of the newer technologies that are that are out there. I think there's some uh, the newer ways of using the nuclear in a more localized basis. There's um, obviously renewables that need to be put into place too, and yeah you know, I think that's critical as the energy infrastructure in our country will 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 go a long way to you know minimizing you know responses like panic or blame or a breakdown of you know any sort of law or order and i think the the world as a whole has to recognize that too our, our energy constraints in about thirty years. there are a number of other things that we can certainly do you know, you know, obviously getting back to localized uh you know, and and more independent sustainability of our our, our food systems you know being closer to the original source, uh, you know, the system right now, we spent a couple of weeks out in the Midwest filming is just, you know, fraught with all kinds of inputs. And it's, on, it's a very fragile system, Jack. You've got, you know, significant amounts of artificial fertilizer, you know, produced primarily by natural gas. You've got significant amount of pesticides and herbicides and, you know, un- unsustainable pumping of aquifers. And it's just produces these significant yields, which, you know, when any of those inputs, Uh, faces a a scarcity, it's going to, you know, send reverberations through the marketplace and we're going to have, you know, uh, higher food prices and uh, challenges in feeding, you know, a, a growing population.
0: Fast forward a year from now and in a little bit, uh, eight billion angels is coming out. What, what, what's your biggest hope for the impact that all of this work that you've been doing is is going to have on people?
1: My hope is to move the needle of awareness, to move the conversation that it's acceptable to discuss and it's an acceptable and understandable uh, you know a conversation, and that countries start to adopt policies, that take into account, you know, their populations and their consumption and emissions of, of, of you know, waste and consumption of resources. I think the more that uh, that philosophy and that uh, culture is accepted, and, and trying to be in harmony with nature and balance with nature, uh, would be to me a, a you know ultimate outcome.
0: Take yourself back to your younger years. A lot of people at that age now are thinking about, they're getting all these stats. They're going to watch 8 Billion Angels. They're going to have seen all of the stats on climate change and oceans and everything else. What are the kinds of things that you would encourage if you were standing in front of a a bunch of 20-somethings now or uh, maybe some high schoolers getting ready to graduate about uh, what would you like to see them go into? What kinds of things would you like them to
1: do? Uh, you know, that's a that's a tough question because uh, I think th- there's certainly awareness uh, in the younger generations, and they're inheriting this earth. Uh, you know, when I was a child, my father used to take us uh, in the summers up to a, a bald eagle's nest up in Maine, and uh, yeah, I remember it. when I was seven years old, after you know going there subsequent summers for four or five years, the the eagles weren't there and my father you know, said that they're gone he said the DDT was you know, a major cause of that and he walked me through what DDT was and I was just uh, amazed at the you know, the humans uh, you know impact and the chain of the consequences that occurred to where it went down to the you know getting into the eggs of the shells of the eggshells of, of, of the of the eagles and not allowing them to be able to re- reproduce and so I, I recognized that impact at a young age and then saw signs and the signs of getting worse and worse so I hope you know, People understand that the magnitude of our impact is substantial, and however they can reduce that impact, and, and by and large, the, the, the single greatest impact is following and pursuing a small family ethic. Uh, I, I think there's hope. I think there's a lot of hope.
0: Well, people can find out more at 8billionangels.org. That's the number 8billionangels.org. You can get on a list there to make sure that you know where screenings are going to be held when this is released. And Terry, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Rewilding Earth. And thank you so much for producing something like this. I know it's a little premature. I haven't seen it, but I think it's going to be awesome. So, uh, I think it's going to open a lot of uh, hearts and minds as well. So thank you so That's much
1: for that work. terrific. And I just, uh, I think what you guys do in Rewilding Earth is such an, an amazing cause. And uh, the pursuit of what you're doing is just, uh, to me, it's a, a, and I love John Davis too. I just think it's a a, a great cause to, to try and rewild the earth. And uh, we're doing our part on our end. You're doing your part and I uh, love working with you guys.
0: Thanks for listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. Be sure to visit rewilding.org to subscribe so you don't miss past and future episodes. And while you're there, please consider supporting rewilding by making a donation or subscribing to the Rewilding Earth newsletter.